The winds of change are blowing, and it's easy to get lost and off track. Hi, I'm Renee Barabow, the practical shaman, Hay House author of Winds of Spirit, a wind whistler, and soul coat. This is a show for pioneers who want to learn to navigate the world with a chaotic spin awake. Welcome back to the Practical Shaman podcast. And my guest today is Stephanie Gunning. She's an author, editor, and publishing consultant with over 30 years experience in the book business. And she's also the editor of Winds of Spirit. Her A-list clientele includes best-selling authors, major publishing firms, top caliber literary agencies, and innovative self-publishers. She has mastered the art of transforming powerful ideas into highly marketable and world-transforming books. And I say that without reservation because she really is a master of words and books and ideas and bringing from you, your depths of you, what it is you really want to say. And sometimes I think she can see the words on the book long before the author ever gets there. And, <laughs> and she's, we're going to talk today about what it's like after the book is published, what it's like that first year of being a, uh, an author. And, you know, when I'm in doubt, I always call Stephanie. I'm there. What about this? What about that? What about this? <laughs> and she's just a wealth of information that way for her clients. And welcome. Thank you, Renee. Thank you for that very generous introduction. I, I want to make one correction, which is I was a very early uh, editorial influence helping you develop the outline and the proposal, but you have a remarkable team of people who worked with you, and I, I don't want to draw any credit away from them, so I, I just wanted to just make that one correction. Okay. I'm, I'm incredibly proud to have been involved with your book, and I, I really congratulate you on how absolutely spectacularly I think it came out, so well done, everybody. <laughs> I know, and I guess that's a great place to start with this conversation, because you know, so many times people would say, well, how did you become a Hay House author? Like that that was some, you know, some magical um, gold, pot of gold that everyone achieves. And, and let me just tell you right off the start, besides for a developmental editor, I had somebody up in Whidbey, uh, Suzanne helping with processes. I had Raven who worked side by side and, you know, was very linear in his thinking. So he made me get clear on every last idea. It went to Vrinda over in the UK. And then, you know, Sally over at uh, the Hay House, and not to mention the people who read and gave me feedback along the way. So this book went through about 15 edits. And <laughs> it's a lot of work, right? It's, you know, it's a, it's a monumental effort, a labor of love to produce a book. And um, at, you know, at a very professional level, you know, it's quite a meticulous process of reviewing and reviewing and questioning and inquiry. And it has a lot of emotional ups and downs, which is what I think <laughs> we're going to talk about. <laughs> the ups right? and the downs of publishing. Yes. So let's see, we're in, we're in June now as this is recorded and your book came out in January. February. Uh, February. So four or five months in, how do you feel about it? Wow. Some days I, you know, I, I guess I, there was a, like a lot of expectations and this, you know, this big imagination of mine thinking of, you know, being a best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author, let's just start where I want to go. And, 
you know, backing back to seeing all the work that's been involved in selling, you know, a few thousand books at this point is it's, it's a, it's a dance. <laughs> it is a dance. And, and, you know, if you're like most of the authors that I deal with, you have a, a busy other life too. The writing is its own area of creativity and you know, a lot of writers that I work with have very full family lives in some instances and also career lives uh, because they're usually writing from their place of expertise. It's, you know, most aren't, you know, independently wealthy and <laughs> just, you know, oh, I'm out by the pool, let me just knock off a book. <laughs> right, don't you wish? I, you know, I think that's every writer's dream to have this space, but as a cultural creative, the way I am, I think that that's the structure of the other that really forces you into that writing time that you really need and, and to get back into that writing time. Uh, for me, I've had a full-time job because when I realized that I was writing a monumental book and I wasn't a, a polished, finished writer, that's putting it politely, that I needed some kind of regular source of income to come in while I you know, did this because a lot of people think even the self-publishing process can be expensive, you know, if you want a good quality book to be done with. Right. I'm, it's so funny. I can't believe I'm blanking on this guy's name. Famous writer. Um, oh, man, this is killing me. That I can't remember this guy's name. If I said it, you would immediately know. He was kind of a quirky personality. He lived up in New England and he had a job selling cars and uh, that was how he made his living but he's uh kurt kurt vonnegut oh uh, and I sold cars once did you <laughs> i've never owned, i've never owned a car yeah speedy and and of course you know uh checkoff was the accountant and you know like every there's all these stories about and there's a famous guy who won a pulitzer in the 90s who worked in a lighthouse Oh, how great is that? Up in the, he would sit up in the lighthouse writing his novels, you know, while he was making sure that the boats weren't crashing. But that's a pretty lonely existence. Right. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, not everybody could hack that much alone time, but for a writer, it could be. So you said something very interesting. You, you said it's the other life that forces you to write. Do you mean that you need a creative outlet after being in a structured environment? Is that what you meant? No, I think I need structure to have the creative life that I have. Some kind of structure, well, whether it's self-imposed. You know, I'm very much, uh, over the years, I've become pretty routinized. And I remember uh, taking a year-long mastermind with Mari Smith. And I just said, I just don't know how I'm going to get this book written. And she just looked at me and said, well, maybe you should get up an hour earlier. You know, like... <laughs> but I need my sleep. <laughs> right. And, I, I, and that stuck with me. It was like, I think it was, besides for learning social media, it was one of the most profound things that ever I heard from her was that this guy who really wanted his book, the, the, um, the guy who owns Social Media Examiner, he has a busy life, a busy business, a family. So he'd get up from five to six o'clock. So I, I said, okay, well, we could try that. And that's really what became my process was, getting up between five and six every single day 
and writing. That explains it because that's when you would email me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was always like, because you're on the West Coast, I'm on the East Coast. And I was like, man, she gets up early. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things of being in recovery is that uh, one of the things when I did this inventory, I realized that I had to put in a dollar a, do a dollar earned for every hour or whatever, however that goes, like, you know, that I couldn't be using their time to write my book. So I kept it really very separate between book writing time and work time. And not that I did, they didn't spill over in terms of information or awareness or all of that, but it was, it was really a, a, a grind for those last couple of years, really getting up early. And, and not everyone has that capacity in them. And maybe you're a nighttime writer. Oh, you know, it's kind of like meditation. The best time is when you do it. So, <laughs> you know, I do find that um, I'm more of the neuroplastic advocate, right? I believe that you build a whole neuronal network in your brain for every book that you write and for every kind of subject area that you have, which the more you repeatedly think about it, the denser and more complex and integrated that biological network of nerve synapses is. So, you know, for me, when I really just make a true decision to get something done, uh, I begin working on it every day. And, and even if I'm, you know, taking a walk in the park on the weekend and not sitting in front of my computer, I may have a little pad with me and I may be asking myself questions or letting my brain or my mind wander because, you know, relaxed, um, expanded thinking. Uh, also, sometimes ideas sort of percolate into consciousness and you don't know quite when that's going to happen. So. I also find that wandering around art museums and uh, really, you know, just getting into being with other types of art or moving my body, those two things do it for me, looking at paintings and, and moving, exercise. Um, and that's great. And you've also, I, I, over the years, one of the things that you told me was that, that you've noticed from all of your authors is that there's a point in the book writing process when the book starts to write you and it becomes from, it's not the other outward focus of who's going to read this, but that the, the material comes alive on your own page and it start, you start to live and breathe it. You know, most of the good writing that I do grabs hold of me and won't let go because, you know, most creative people have very active imaginations and you know the, the kinds of books that they want to write they might come up with three different ideas every day and for 24 hours they think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread but if they don't act on it very quickly it no longer seems as bright and shining and then the next idea supplants the first one so they end up with these you know i I'm speaking for myself right now. I end up with notebooks filled with fantastic ideas for really interesting things, but it's just a few of them that really grab me and they don't let me go. I've got one that's been going for like three years now and it's you know really starting to consume me. And I, it's very well developed in my imagination, although I've done not that much writing on it yet, but I know that when I do sit down to write, it's going to be such a pleasure 
because the world that that idea inhabits is already very well developed holographically. That's great. Um, and I think that, that I think you, um, I think some of that is what happens to writers during that first year when their book comes out is that they're now living in the reality of what they've been fantasizing about for a very long time. How will people respond to my book? You know, you, is it a New York Times bestseller? That, that's a very common one because people of course want to shoot very high and, uh, and also because we're all so hungry for attention, you know, and you put in a lot of effort and it's quite normal to want, you know, people to praise you and, and give you feedback. The funny thing is that um, a lot of, it's not funny. It's not haha -ha funny. Ah. It's uh, odd and unpleasant. <laughs> um, there's a kind of a flatness when you mm. cross the finish line. Um, Absolutely. You have very momentary satisfaction, but then what you've lost is your reason to get up in the morning. That's very true. And um, I, I definitely experienced that. I know other authors were experiencing it earlier than me, people who had books come out very uh, close in proximity. And for me, it was, you know, I, part of my book is about, you know, how I overcame um, mental illness, basically, how I learned to live within the, the boundaries of this more even swing. And so anytime that I cross a major finish line, even it used to be caterings and uh, now books, there, there was always that swing to the down. And this, this book was, and I had that several processes, you know, right after I got the Hay House contract, I went down because I had to reckon, reckon with, oh my God, everyone's going to see me and I'm going to be a fraud. And then you get over to the finish line of the finished book and it's like, well, no, no one's going to see me unless I get out there and sell this so book. You, so you need another <laughs> goal, which is to be the most successful fraud ever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're all frauds. We're all making it up as we go along. That, I mean, that's the creative process, right? It's fraudulent. <laughs> right. It's, just... it's new. It's new. That's what you want to create something new. But, you know, it's, I think that when people say your life purpose should be bigger than a lifetime, what they're talking about is something that writers could benefit from. I, let me just give one caveat first, which is, let's say I, um, let's say I'm account, an accountant and I work on people's taxes and I decide that I want to do a tax guide uh, to help entrepreneurs you know, know what to, what receipts to keep all throughout the year. Very specific body of information. Once I've delivered that information, I don't think my whole self-identity is going to be wrapped up in that. Now, if I was an accountant, I might say differently. Maybe my identity is wrapped up in that. Maybe I want to be the world's greatest speaker or whatever. Um, but the tax code changes from year to year, decade to decade. And so that book is going to be obsolete. So if my whole identity is wrapped up in the 2018, you know, tax code, <laughs> I'm really basically screwed, <laughs> you know, right from the get go. But, you know, with a spiritual book or a self-help book or something like that, but with a person like you, which is the bulk of my clients are people like you, then, and I, I count myself in that category too, like, one book isn't going to cut it because you, you get that flatness if you have limited your imagination 
to one milestone. But if you're really in a place of service, and this is where making that one ego adjustment is really helpful to writers. If you are, if you put yourself in a place of service where um, you're helping part of humanity or all of humanity, or you're, you know, you're really researching something like bringing back ancient knowledge in your case, let's say, that is bigger than one person and bigger than one lifetime. You can never write all the books that explain all of that subject. There's always, there's always other venues to communicate, whether it's audio, video, in-person, you know, uh, in my case, I really feel like I'm put on earth to help creative people to find their voices and to go through the transformation that occurs when they're writing. And I also feel that, you know, there should be thousands and thousands of books to heal the world. And, you know, so I'm fortunate in that I don't usually crash after one, but I do crash from time to time. And, and then I have to find another reason. And so, you, you know, it's like life itself, creation. You have to always have a new, another why. You know, Simon Sinek said, you know, gave that great talk on why you do things. And for me, one of the, the upcoming books is about navigating the seasonal winds and the dynamics of creativity. But when I was, one of the things that, that has developed over my life is that I have really good habits about some things. Not so good with the ice cream, not so good on the working out every day, but like I always find another project, another creative. So after my book came out, I redecorated my house. <laughs> I, I built cabinets, I painted walls that had been neglected in my move in four years ago. And uh, then I you know, redecorated the living room. And funny, yesterday on Facebook, somebody came through, Pat, who's got, a wonderful book called Magic in Plain Sight. I'll have to get her on the podcast. And she was talking about that she was back in her garden. Oh, so that she hadn't been in her garden all those weekends and nights and that she was editing and re-editing. Re re so it, it's really good to have other people if you're a, a writer who can help you go through this process because we all think that, oh, we've got this great book, we're gonna serve the world. And then it's a different career once you've got the book written. Then you become yes, a book peddler. Right. Well, you're, I mean, you really just get to the starting line. Right. Writing, the, writing the book, the manuscript is just like phase one, you know, and, and, and this is also, you know, the other thing, it's like sometimes the world needs certain words, but sometimes we want to express ourselves. Like there, you know, the interaction between the inside and the outer reality is where the book lives because an idea comes from nowhere really and then you put it it comes outside and it's like a thought taken outside of your body a bunch of words i speak words and they disappear in the air right <laughs> but if they land in your brain now they're actually real things because they're part of your biology, right? They're causing chemical reactions and thoughts in you and your behavior changes and whatever and whatever. Like that to me is, that is really interesting, right? That kind of interaction is super interesting. How it feeds back to you as an author, like 
sometimes you might get an email from a person saying, wow, I read that and it changed my life. Yeah. Or, and you don't know. So if where it feels really good to a writer is if the person that they've been imagining is going to read it and be affected a certain way actually is. Then you have this kind of congruence that's really very rewarding feeling. You know, um, if, you know, sometimes instead you get a little surprise, like you thought it was going to be one person, but it turns out to be this other person. And then you're like, oh, wow, <laughs> I had no idea. And then you're like, wow, I channeled that for you, you know? Then, then it becomes this kind of spiritual practice of releasing it and, and setting it free to see what happens, you know? <laughs> right, isn't that the truth? That's quite fascinating, yeah. Today I read a review, I, I'm, I follow my Amazon reviews and, and it was somebody's like, somebody almost dared me to, when, when she picked up the book, she, it was almost like a dare, like, yeah, how are you gonna convince me that this book on mythology of the wind is gonna have any, any uh, pertinence to me? And she said somehow I, I brought her in and, and wove a tale that she could see had relevance in her life. And I thought That's that was great. Uh, I thought that, that was great. Changing a mind, that's not easy to do, right? <laughs> right. I thought, oh, wow. Because I mean, I read them. Some people like, yeah, I know you were going to like it. But some people, and they're like, they just bought it because they knew me and they thought it was a, you know, they're standing right in front of me. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a courageous reader, though. I mean, it's quite interesting to read, to actually spend time reading something you think is not relevant to you. I know. I thought that was, well, you know, I will say that if I think, I recognized maybe the name and she had just overcome her own uh, adversity. And, you know, there's nothing more adverse than a strong wind blowing. So maybe <laughs> it just was like enough to, to, to call her in. And so that, you know, it, it's exciting. There's, there's lots of it that is exciting. And then you just get this idea that, okay, all right, how, now I've got to pick myself up, write another book and, and, you know, have a balance in my life too. So what do you do, so what do, you do every day to keep this I, the idea of this book afloat and in front of people? What are you doing? Well, what I do is I have a Facebook group, the, Win, the Winds uh, Believers, the Wind Clan, and you know, there's people there having experiences, which then I have to keep them engaged. What you told me the other day about keeping people hungry so oh, no, I'm always feeding them. Oh. They, are, they already are. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, as a chef, that should come easy to me feeding them. Maybe because I'm hungry this morning. <laughs> I'm hungry. Uh, there. <laughs> uh, the, so, you know, I have the journal challenge going on. And one thing that I've noticed about the journal challenge, which you can get to automatically and sign up and start anytime, it was, it's really beneficial to get yourself because when you're done with the book, I think everyone probably takes a moment of hiatus from writing, is to get back writing every day and seeing what is in that inner world of exploration. And I also, for me personally, take wind walks. And like you, I don't carry a notebook. I sometimes carry my phone around because it has a really good little notepad because a lot of wind work comes to me on the wind, believe it or not. <laughs> so you so you take a walk and it gives you an idea for something to do to market the book or you take a walk, record something and post it and that is the marketing? Uh, you know, I try, sometimes it's both. Sometimes I write down something that I'm gonna do and sometimes I, um, I 
do I do the, the I just post something that I just like the other day I was out there and the fountain started speaking to me so I posted this thing on the fountain on the journal challenge page and they loved it but I loved it when I listened to it again I'm thought wow this is really inspiring me <laughs> you know this is like really exciting so when you find something that excites you and excites your audience how do you then go do more similar stuff um, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, random. I'm a chaos type of creator. So it's a little <laughs> more random than that. Although I noticed the journal challenge last year was successful. So I repeated it this year in June and we had twice as many people sign up, you know, the summer solstice and the fall equinox or those, those are the, I do events that work repeatedly. Like we're going to do the winter solstice event again, because we gathered, people gathered and it was successful. So as a chaos creator, I'm always ready to create a new event. When, as my outreach idea goes, hey, only 2000 people saw that the first time, let's go for 10,000 people. So for me, you know, I have to get back into the repeat and scale, repeat and scale, whereas other people might need to create. I see what you're saying. So what you mean by repeat and scale is I got a hundred people the first time I consider that successful. It's now created. So the second time I double my goal or I quadruple it or whatever. Yeah. So do you, do you get up every morning and you're like, today I'm going to sell five books and I'm going to sell five books every day and I'm going to do something until I know that I've accomplished that or, That's or you know, anything like that, any game like that? Well, one of the things was, I, I look at it not in terms of just the book sales, like this year, my goal is just to have 10,000 emails on my email list. So halfway through the year, am I, am I towards that goal? And, you know, then right now, what my goal is, is I notice every time I go out and speak to a room, I sell 30 books. So my goal is, is how many more rooms can I get in between now and the end of the year to sell 30 to 50 books each time I speak to an audience? Got it. So, so step one should be booking a bunch of speeches, <laughs> right? For me, right? Yeah. And, and you're good at that because that's actually your job is planning events, right? Well, so. let's talk about that. I'm really great at planning events for you. But it becomes a different work when it's about planning an event for me. And anyone who's in marketing knows that it's like easy to market the treatment center, a little more difficult to keep marketing Renee. And that's my work is, and what, um, what was suggested to me by, uh, you know, book launch specialist was that, you know, reach out to two podcasters every week, reach out to two bloggers every week. It's stop setting these, oh, this week I'm going to get to a hundred of, no, two a week. And I saw last week I let that go. I didn't reach out to two podcasters, you know. Interesting. So, so you yeah. might need an accountability partner or something like that. Because, you, because I think you're also fed by the collaborative process, right? Absolutely. Um, and, and um, you know, you're, you're a generous teacher, I think, um, because you're really letting people step into their own uh, creative process and their own authority in their own lives. So I think that... Um, yeah, I just, I, I think that's what, but that's why you like doing the journal challenge, right? Right. So, so to me, that's very interesting because I would go, I would do the activities that you enjoy and um, forming those relationships 
anyway is the networking i you know latest discoveries on trees you know is that trees when they put their roots down they're really all one big tree right there's like a mother tree with lots of like children trees and then sometimes there are these mushrooms in between the roots and the mushrooms help the trees communicate through their roots so sometimes two different species of tree that have different growth cycles one will feed the other resources when it's dormant and the other will like do the opposite right so so that's the way writers and ideas are in our culture we're like feeding each other ideas and we're also you know sometimes we're serving to pass along the ideas to other people i think podcasting is that kind of um outgrowth of idea spreading it's like having this great conversation with a friend which is what we're doing exactly publicly you know will you come back and be a mushroom again because i know we're just about <laughs> out of time and absolutely absolutely anytime and um such a pleasure that we were able to grab this time together and tell people how they can reach you and who your ideal client is and how they can reach you well i can be reached on my website stephaniegunning.com and that is a great place to contact me my services are as an editor as a publishing consultant meaning i help you navigate your choices uh, with some people i write book proposals like i did with you um, with some people i actually package the book so if you're a self-publisher and you want somebody who's going to orchestrate the whole thing, edit, and then bring in design and introduce you to marketers and also, you know, project manage, you know, all the systems and everything. That's what I do. And I love doing it. And my clients are typically um, uh, forward thinking people who are, you know, writing self-help books or non-traditional approaches to mainstream subjects, you know, like a, a business book that's spiritual in nature or a medical book that's spiritual in nature or whatever. So um, my ideal client is somebody I like, <laughs> <laughs> meaning I like to talk to them and they interest me and, you know, they're friendly and relaxed. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Uh, whoops. Uh, Stephanie used to have a name, or I don't know if it is still called Get a Book Deal. Get a Book Deal. Did you? Uh, I, I did. I had a trademark. And you know what? Because I began doing so much work with self publishers, I stopped going by that. But I do writing coaching with um, a select group of people. And that's great. And, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. And until our tree roots meet again, have an <laughs> awesome day. Thank you so much, Renee. A pleasure to talk to you. <laughs>